low win rates, excessive discounting, challenging negotiations. Welcome to the Sales Readiness Podcast, a podcast brought to you by the Sales Readiness Group. We're an industry-leading sales training company that helps businesses develop highly effective sales organizations. This podcast is about one question, how to transform your team into big performers. If you want the answer, keep listening. If you want it faster, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. David, it's really a pleasure. And I have to say just how excited I am to, to be here and to have you on uh, to really talk about this topic that I know we're both extremely passionate about. And I'll just say, you know, in preparing for this and having a chance to collaborate a little bit, um, it's just been a, a fantastic experience already working with you and your team and seeing how we uh, view, have similar philosophies, but maybe coming at some of the topics from different directions. So I'm, I'm looking forward to the dialogue. And David, just, I guess, uh, to get started, love to have you talk just a little bit about kind of how you ended up where you are and maybe just a little bit of the story behind Level Jump. Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, Ray Alonzo, thank you guys so much for, for inviting us to collaborate on this. Super fun to always really just raise and elevate the, the profession of sales and the, the work you guys do. We're, we're thrilled to be a part of this. My, uh, yeah, my 60-second story of, I guess, how I tell people how I got into this mess. I was a, a pre-med student way back when. Ended up not doing that, gone into the pharmaceutical industry for many years, doing sales, marketing, and product management. And from there, started a, a training company. It wasn't specifically on sales. It was more on management and leadership. So I, I ran a training company for just under 10 years and sold that business because I wanted to get into technology. Ended up spending a bunch of years at Salesforce out of the Toronto office here in Canada. Got exposure really to, to platform and just really seeing what was happening from a technology perspective and was really inspired to take my my love and passion for training and enablement and applying it to a best-in-class platform and level jump was born and here we are four-ish years later rocking and rolling outstanding well i look forward to uh digging into that a little bit more detail and also sharing some of the lessons and stories you have from your clients and actually it's interesting kind of by similar backgrounds i actually started my career uh, as a consultant at Accenture after a stint as an officer in the Navy, uh, but really started in you know change management and training and how do we uh, align people, process, technology. And what's really interesting, 25 years later, here we are talking about people, process, and technology and change management. So uh, I, I think it does you know kind of come full circle, but will help to uh, maybe inform some of our conversation today. You know, I just want to tee up uh, our our agenda here and talk a little bit about where we're headed. And this was really interesting as we had fantastic uh, response to uh, the registrations for this webinar and uh, attendees today. I see the numbers continuing to go up in terms of our audience. Uh, And one of the comments really struck me, uh, David, and I I think I shared it with you offline, but uh, somebody registered, they said, you know, we, we asked the question, what interested you in this event? And they said, well, sales enablement has failed three times within my company and now I own it. Now it's moved to me. Uh, I'm terrified. And one, I thought that was really fantastic in terms of the transparency and also, you know, kind of putting it out there. And also, you know, really speaks to just how important this topic is, how timely. And I think, you know, people really are really interested in, uh, in what's going on here and what we have to say. But I guess any general thoughts about that, David? And we'll go through the agenda here and, and, uh, and move forward. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, whoever it was that made that comment, you are not alone. Uh, this what's amazing right now, sales enablement wasn't even called sales enablement 10 years ago. And I tell we speak to customers all the time and prospects and just general interest that the sales enablement space is going through an absolute renaissance right now. The uh, the the analysts talk about this all the time. They say that in 2009 or uh, sorry, in, in 1999 was the decade of CRM and Salesforce and what have you. 2009 was the decade of marketing automation. So the Marketos, Eloquos, Pardots of the world. They're saying 2019 is going to be the decade of sales enablement. So we're literally just scratching the surface of this industry. You're seeing obviously a slew of new technologies roaming into the space, but there are people that have, yes, been doing, you know, Ray, you make this comment of people process over the last 20 years. This is not, making salespeople effective is not a new concept, but it's really finding a name for it and enablement seems to be sticking right now. You're seeing the number of, of roles on LinkedIn containing sales enablement on like hockey stick trajectory right now. But we are just, this industry is yep. get, just getting started. So someone who said a company failed three times is like someone in 2005 saying our, our online digital marketing is not working. The tools, information, and best practices right. available right. for enablement people today is just getting good. So whoever you are out there, and if there's any others, not to worry. You're in the right place at the right time, and you're going to be just pioneers in the renaissance that's happening today. Uh, absolutely. And yeah, let's jump into that because I think that's exactly where we want to start. You know, we're, today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, why do uh, some of these initiatives fail? What are some common things that we've both seen? Uh, with our clients and, and in the industry, we'll talk about how we turn that into a foundation for uh, some successful takeaways and then how important coaching is uh, to that overall sales enablement execution. So how that ties right in and then ultimately uh, talk a little bit about the business impact and, and where we go from there. So, you know, let's go ahead and move forward here. One of the things we like to do is we always like to get input from our group uh, and and talk about uh, their perspective. So I want to start with this uh, quick poll. And what we're going to do, I'll open this up here. And uh, what we are asking to do is just let us know what are some of your biggest challenges with uh, with what you're seeing. Let me. Uh, there we go. Okay. Uh, so. The poll is open, and what we want to hear from you is, you know, what are some of the challenges you're seeing? Is it, you know, sales enablement maybe isn't clearly defined? There's poor alignment to your sales leadership. Um, there are too many competing priorities. Maybe the metrics aren't uh, clearly aligned with the outcomes, or there's lack of uh, sponsorship for these initiatives. And so we're starting to see the results uh, come in here. I'll keep it open for a little bit uh, longer, and then we'll go ahead and broadcast that. But uh, I think it'll be really interesting to hear. What we have to say, and you know, certainly there are probably a, a few write-in uh, answers that people would want to share as well. Um, but uh, we'll we'll take these to start with, and then go ahead and talk talk about them. Okay, Ray, I gotta like tell you, I am, I am super excited to see the result of this because we're having conversations about literally every single one of these topics, and I know we've got a good group of people here online. I am really, I mean, to do an experiment like this in real time, I am, I'm pretty excited to see what we come up with here. Yeah, so uh, a good cross-section. And, you know, one of the things we hear 
from our participants sometimes is, oh, I, I wish I could have chosen two or, you know, the, these, these are all super important, but I'm going to go ahead and uh, close this out. I'm going to share the poll and now you can see the results. So uh, by a pretty wide margin, uh, too many competing priorities comes in at the top at, at 43%, followed by 24% fuzzy definition of sales enablement. Uh, I'm curious, David, if that aligns with kind of what you would have suspected and, uh, you know, how that resonates. Yeah, I'm just kind of, um, uh, let me think here. I'm just looking, I'm just reading all five. Yep. I I mean, listen, I, I don't know who's online, right? Like, I don't know who's online. I'm a little surprised that uh, the middle one is is where it is. I'm surprised that too many competing priorities is when you could argue that for any question in business. So everyone's always too busy. So is it that we is it we have too many other things that are more important? In which case, well, maybe sales enablement just isn't a priority because competing priorities means there's more things that are more important to this. Which, if that's the case, good luck, right? Like it's right. it's like <laughs> you shouldn't be worried about if you're if, if there's too many competing priorities and you're in sales enablement, you, you got a bit of a problem. Um, but um, so I am a little surprised that it's that highly ranked. I think the fuzzy definition. I wonder if I think that's a bit of an industry issue. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think I, I actually thought the second one was going to be the big one is uh, where I was leaning. How about you, Ray? What, what, what were you What were you thinking? Yeah, I, I think um, and and maybe my my thinking was even informed a little bit this week. We were at the local sales enablement society meeting here in Seattle. And uh, the CEO of a, of a local sales enablement tech company was there speaking and provided some really insightful comments. And one of the things was, if, and, and this, I think, speaks to the sales leaders. If your sales leaders are asking you to do nine things, it's okay. And in fact, it's imperative on you to come back and say, great, which two of them would you like to start with and are the highest priority? Because totally. I think sales enablement often ends up being won't say the dumping ground, but at least there's so much we want to do with improving process and publishing content and doing training and metrics and analytics. And so it's like, hey, can you do this? Can you do that? And as a result, you end up right being diluted and uh, and not being able to execute. So you know, his guidance was, yeah, pick two and start there. And I think that speaks right to what is our uh, charter, right? What is our definition that we're trying to accomplish? How do we align with the sales leadership? objectives, which we're going to get to, and, you know, how do you measure that? So then they start to all tie together. So I guess I'm, I'm maybe not uh, not that surprised uh, given that that perspective. Interesting. Very interesting. I mean, with the, with that in mind, I'd almost be quick to say of these nine, which one do you want to start with? With, uh, <laughs> with that in mind, like if it's even, and then which of the two would you start with? So, um, but I, listen, we everyone's got a list of to-dos that you never get to, to even halfway through. So I would agree with that philosophy for sure. Yeah, and we know that on, we talk about it in our coaching programs all the time, that if you give somebody more than three things to think about and work on, they're actually less likely to accomplish any of those than if you say, you know, okay, this quarter, here are your coaching priorities. Let's see if we can improve these skills or improve this particular aspect of your pipeline. And when we nail that, great, we'll move on to the next set. So let's continue on here. I, I think that was actually really in, uh, interesting. Let's talk about some of the foundation for, for a successful program and where we go from here. So, you know, if we look at uh, aligning with the sales leadership, so that was, you know, the question about, do we have our definition clear? 
are we aligned with leadership and are we really serving them appropriately? David, I wonder if I could get your comment on uh, some of the revenue outcomes or some of the outcomes that you look at and how this aligns in terms of what you do at Level Jump. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, our philosophy when we speak to, to people is, is start with what you're, I mean, and it's not even a level jump thing. There's a whole movement around start with why. why. Why are we doing what we're doing? What is the outcome you actually want to drive and get aligned to that? And if you read any literature on sales velocity or the equation, I fundamentally believe that every single metric, and you can go beyond, but ultimately comes down to one of the five you have on the screen today, right? One of these five core metrics. And it's the same thing. When I speak to sales leaders, I say, which of these, I usually start with the first four because time to ramp if you're in growth mode is something always on their mind. But from an overall sales productivity, sales enablement perspective, which of these four is most important? And what amazes me is how many leaders come up with two actually, but they come up with two not because they know which two are most important. They actually eliminate the two they know aren't. And then they're, they're down to two and it's which of that, which of those two do you actually really want to work on? And what's amazing is if you speak to a manager of managers, they, you know, they, they look at it from a more of a, a macro level, but sales leaders will have like you could be on the same coast and have two sales leaders saying one's challenge is win rates and the other needs bigger deal sizes. And all in all, and I think this aligns to competing priorities, but these are the four, and then including a, a ramp time, ultimately revenue leaders want something to, they wanna move one of these dials. The question as enablers is to figure out which of these ones is the most important to focus on first. Absolutely, and I think you know the underlying message here is, and it's just like, you know, when we talk about selling to the C-suite or you know, elevating your, your sales conversation, we have to think and speak like a revenue leader, right? Like a sales leader and think about, well, what do they really care about? What's gonna make a huge difference? How do we align our priorities or you know, whether that's a charter or the initiatives so that we're speaking to these things and at the end of the day, we can show a connection. And again, I kind of go back to my consulting days. If, if you can't make a connection between the work you're doing today and how it impacts the business, it's going to be really hard to justify that next budget or, you know, make that connection. So I think each of these, if we can go back and say, well, look, you know, average deal size was impacted or we improved win rate. I mean, really, all of these could kind of go under revenue per FTE or, you know, productivity per FTE. What is our sales team doing? Are they achieving quota? And, uh, you know, how are we going to measure that? So I think this is a great list. And, you know, one I think would be good for all of us to keep in mind is at the end, it, it really does come back to, uh, you know, closing business and uh, and generating sales. Hundred percent, hundred percent. So, you know, one of the things we wanted to do is just say, okay, given all of that, where do we start? And so, this is a very simple model. Uh, and again, it's one that we've looked at um, with with clients and other partners. That there are a lot of building blocks, and there's certainly a lot that we could take on. But going back to that kind of theme of people, process, technology, I think we can we can look at that from a sales enablement perspective as Say, well, how are we affecting the sales process? And that includes, you know, the content and scripts and, and everything we're doing to interact with the customer. How are we training, which is, you know, onboarding and skill development and, and product training, everything we're doing to support that. I'll flip over to the other side on technology and tools. And that's not just tech for its own sake, but how is that actually interacting and supporting 
those other areas, uh, you know, how does it integrate with the sales process? How are we training so that we're getting the most out of it? And then, you know, one of the interesting ones um, around coaching, and actually, I just heard this uh, yesterday, there was a global uh, sales enablement uh, society call, and uh, Tamara Shank was actually talking about trends for 2020. And I was really pleased to see that I, I think number five, which I don't know if that's most important, but at least the one that w- they ended the list was investing in managers for 2020, really understanding that they're pivotal to all of these components and that we need to enable them to be better coaches so that they can support technology and training and the tools that we're putting in place and the sales process. So I think those are all together. And, you know, David, I know you see some of these in, in well, see all of these in your business, but, you know, maybe you could comment on just how this uh, resonates with, with Level Jump. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, we obviously, these, and these four circles you have on the outer rim here, this isn't new, but this has been, this foundation has been, for, this is forever. It's, uh, it's, it's more finding the time to do these things. I think uh, an interesting challenge and even a bit of a fear that, that I have is I'm finding that because we're seeing sales enablement and coaching being talked a lot together, mm-hmm. it doesn't excuse the sales manager to not do it anymore. And there's a lot of, I've speak to a lot of people that say that if a sales manager starts to think that the coaching is now the role of sales enablement and, Hey, I got my number and I just got to focus on hitting it and sales enablement now to do the coaching we're really going to lose out a lot on that. And I think that ties in nicely to what you just mentioned of uh, Tamara's comment around really focusing on sales manager enablement. It's not about a sales manager being able to hit their number per se and and doing whatever it takes to get it done. It's really about enabling managers to become better enablers and to not take the coaching and training off their plate, but to enable them to be able to do that more effectively and at scale. Absolutely. And I think it's interesting that thinking about the manager as the change agent, right? I mean, they really are the, the frontline trainer. They're the process, you know, the, the person who's going to make sure things get executed and maybe taking some of that just reporting and compliance and administrative things off of their path, right? The stop doing list so that they can focus on some of those more strategic uh, activities that you mentioned. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things we want to do is is continue to get input and thinking about some of those categories, some of those foundational areas, uh, and going back to that list, what we'd love to do is hear from the group here uh, about what's most important to them when they measure success. So in your organization, uh, how do you measure success? And what we'll do on this is if you could use the question box, uh, that's the, the easiest way to, to respond. Uh, and then we'll just uh, read these off and, and kind of comment on them as they come through. But what we'd love to do is, you know, get your input here on what do you think or, or what do you have in place, which me- metrics are most important for you, uh, and, and we'll see what the group has to say. You have any Jeopardy music we can play? Yeah, exactly. Well, you know what? Our group is fantastic today, um, so we're getting responses already. You know, Amy comments first, uh, time to ramp as, as, as a key. And, you know, I know you're right in the middle of that in terms of onboarding and, and uh, that, that initial training and being able to measure that. Can you speak a little bit of that while we, we get uh, some of these other responses, David? Yeah, we talk time to ramp all the time. And what's interesting about time to ramp is you kind of have to go to the root of why that's important. And, and not just to, to you as a, like it, there's different stakeholders. 
for the CFO, the CFO wants productivity. They want, they want to, you know, they're losing, you lose, a new rep is a losing proposition. Like you're paying them salary and it's, it's a, we call it the J curve. You're, you're losing money on that rep in the hope that they're going to bottom out and then you want to get them up. The rep. <laughs> right. right. That's just, that's a financial term used for investments. And it's no different when it comes to, to sales teams, but the, um, the way it's measured, you know, there's, there's people that will call time to ramp. So, but what is ramp? What does ramp mean to you? Is it, hitting that first deal? Is it hitting a second deal? Is it hitting quota the first time? Is it hitting it consistently? And based on your business and your business model, and there's there's tons of this available, you should have, it's living in Excel somewhere on, on finances and uh, in the finance files. But when they're doing business modeling and a growth plan, and they're looking at time to ramp, they actually have a model that defines, we need to, like that headcount growth is not just like a you know, people putting up their, their finger to the wind. There's a mo- there's a financial model that sits behind that. And there's assumptions in that model as to whether they're going to be producing revenue by month two, month three, 50% of revenue by month four, et cetera. And defining ramp, just make it consistent. So, and then define the metrics you want to do. So we've actually, we've created a bit of a language around it. The TTFD, time to first deal, TTSD, time to second deal, TTFQ, time to first quota, uh, TTF. CQ time to consistent quota. Don't use all of them, but choose the right, ones that right. are important to you based on your business model and then track that. Because one thing that is absolutely for certain is finishing boot camp does not equal onboarding or, or ramped <laughs> right, or onboarded. Right. right. Oh, it's, we're done, right? We're we're done. Ready to move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean and and done with the onboarding when when they finish or they take their their quiz. And then you you dump them over to sales, but it doesn't end until they're really at quota consistently, right? Hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, we're getting some really interesting responses, and I appreciate uh, you know people commenting. Several comments here. You know, we don't have clear metrics to what success looks like in sales enablement, and there was another one ha- uh, here. Really love this. We have no idea how to measure success. There's no process or link between sales training and sales results, and I think you know we see that far too often where even in our business, we get asked for, hey, we need to do this training program. And we say, well, why? Right. Back to the start with the why. And, and there was a great uh, comment here. Um, I think Jason mentioned understanding the why and then what the goal needs to be established and then measured against. So looking at six months, 12 months out, not saying that's easy. Right. Oftentimes it's hard to benchmark. It's hard to really establish a baseline and measure that. But some of the things you're talking about, especially during a ramp up period, or something like win rates or cycle time, you can measure that in the pipeline and we can start to compare that with others. So uh, a lot of consistent uh, messages here around the pipeline, the close rates, um, you know, even leading indicators like uh, it says colds held per day, which I think is probably, you know, uh, initial calls or acquisition meetings, right? So it's a leading indicator to, to fill the funnel to say how many opportunities and pull through. I think the point is aligning with what the sales leaders feel is most important, and then understanding those couple of metrics that we can put on our dashboard to see if it's making a difference, right? Yeah, I mean, I uh, I had the opportunity to sit on a panel on this exact topic, sales enablement metrics, at the uh, Sales Enablement Pro one-day conference during Dreamforce. And the, the one thing we've all said is even sales leaders, you want to find out what the executive priorities of the business are, because... I hate to say it, sales leaders and even even executives today, they can be removed at any point in time. 
So if you have any way of getting visibility into, you know, what was discussed at the board at the last board meeting when they were talking about core sales productivity metrics, like when in the last board meeting, investor call, whatever it was, what are the key initiatives or the strategic priorities to grow the business? There's no business in the world that doesn't want to grow. So how do they plan to get there? Is it through acquiring other companies? And if that's the case, you've got a massive onboarding use case on your hands because you're going to bring in all these new people. You got to get them up to speed quickly. But whatever the key metric is, when you, you know, the comment around, we don't know what the sales enablement metric is. The sales enablement metric is whatever the core strategic priority of the business is. And if you can align to whatever that is, we need to grow business. Hey, we don't want new customers. We just want to get more out of our existing companies. You, you name the priority. If you're aligned to that metric, your sales enablement metric is correct because then all of your programs will align to that metric. And so long as you can prove, which is the second piece of your question here, Ray, if you can show how your programs are impacting the metric that is a priority at the executive level, you're writing your own sales enablement ticket. No, I think that's really great insight and, and uh, suggestions for, you know, again, thinking like that internal consultant. And I think it should be a competency for sales enablement, which is you are a management consultant to the business. And the more you can treat that customer, one, identify who they are and uh, how are we aligning with what's important to them? I think the better off we'll be. And, you know, the other thing that came out of this uh, sales enablement meeting this week uh, was the theme around we often... Um, I think cr create volume in absence of clarity. So, so we're great at creating a lot of material, and there's reams of reams of you know marketing materials and and sales content that's not being used. And I think this can help cut through that a little bit because we should be going back and asking us how does this affect those metrics and those outcomes we're really trying to achieve, and is it really directly impacting or contributing to that? And if not, well, maybe that uh, should should be saved for another time. Let's focus on those things that are going to make the biggest difference. You know, right? You, you and I talked about this briefly last week, and I always make this joke for for people in enablement of you know when we have how do you how do you have what's a litmus test for am I on the right track? Am I producing too much content? Am I thinking about the right things? And the example I always give is no VP of sales in the world is going into a board meeting. And saying, hey, we've got, you know, just a quick, how's enablement going? It's like, I got good news and bad news. The bad news is we missed the number. The good news is certifications are up 182% and we've got 12 new pieces of content ready to roll. There's no one in the world that wants that. So understand that content certifications, number of training programs, those are, yeah, track them. It's important for you, but that's not, you're not, you got to think above the power line. You got to think. An executive does not care about the number of certifications or how many pieces of content, how engaged people are. They want to know, tell me the so what of that. Tell me, tell me what that has done for the business. And if you start with that outcome and the impact you want to have on the business, then figure out, because maybe you can achieve it with one piece of content or whatever, whatever metric you want to attach to it. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it really helps to refine that message when you start asking the why and 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 digging under under the surface a little bit. So, you know, one of the things we we said is we'd we'd share uh, some some lessons and some some information we have. Um, what you're seeing on the screen here is a, a study we did with training industry uh, last year, and we benchmarked a number of different sales professionals to try to get uh, a correlation or get an understanding of you know what happens when 
training and sales enablement is is occurring and is well aligned? And what are we doing that's helping us uh, to better execute right on that vision? And so what we saw was, um, you know, ramp up times increased. So those organizations that felt like they had good training in place, um, they were actually ramping up quicker. And if we start to actually put a dollar uh, amount to getting somebody up to quota sooner, it's a huge return on investment, right? So with effective training, uh, it shaved like seven weeks off when they evaluated their training programs as effective. Uh, Win rates went up significantly. And to me as a sales leader and salesperson, that one is key because that means I can focus on fewer opportunities that have a higher likelihood of closing and not wasting time on those ones that maybe aren't qualified or or that just uh, die in the middle stages and we don't know what to do with. So, you know, if if training and sales enablement correlates to a better win rate, higher close rate, um, I think that pulls through, you know, a significant value long term, obviously. And then the other one, and we didn't really talk about this earlier, hey, but. Hey. Sorry, yeah. sorry to cut you off. I, I don't know if it's just my screen because you have an amazing infographic that I am not seeing right now. Okay, let me. Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, no, because you're you're talking on it, but like I, this is the, now I see it. There's this beautiful, colorful okay infographic you put together. So I just want. I'm lucky. I, I've seen it, guys. I saw these slides. I saw these slides yesterday. But for the audience. Um, this screen that you've got up now, I didn't have before as you started getting into the results of your of your study with training industry. So keep going, yep. but you've got color on the screen now to go with yeah, it. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Yeah, so I think we we're a little locked up there for a second. I appreciate the heads up. Um, so you see the three different categories. Um, so we talked about ramp up first. I'm pointing over here because that's the monitor it's on, but uh, the <laughs> ramp up rates, the close rates. Uh, and then one that we didn't really talk about, but it's kind of underlying this is in those organizations that were doing a better job with training and sales enablement, job satisfaction was actually rated higher. You know, people like to be competent. They like to feel like they're being taken care of. What that means today to sales leaders is what does that do to our attrition and turnover? And especially in a tight job market, if we can keep those people on board and we had a program, very large uh, national program that was being rolled out that their key metric of everything was reducing turnover and so when we're talking about training and coaching and enablement, if they could reduce that, the business case was astronomical because, right, they wouldn't have to be filling those seats as often and they would have people up to speed and they're not wasting that time while people are, uh, you know, churning through. So anyway, these were some of the key metrics that we captured. We will make this report available uh, and Alonzo will include a link uh, in the follow-up to the webinar. So if people ask, uh, you'll, you'll have an uh, opportunity to download that. But David, I'd love to get your thoughts from Level Jump. I mean, what do you see on some of the actual metrics or outcomes uh, from clients you're working with? Yeah, hey, listen, I honestly, I, I love I love this infographic. We have this whole philosophy of think of the, because uh, it is a competitive job market. And if you're great in sales, you're, you're highly sought after. And so you really, and, and even if you take it a step earlier, think of the, the business development function, BDRs, like the, the studies are showing that the tenure in that is getting even shorter from like 18 months to 15 right. months or whatever it is. So when you think in terms of sales productivity, and the, again, going back to the financial model, we like looking at it in terms of the lifetime value of a sales rep. You hear about this with customers. What's the lifetime value of, of a customer and how long do you think you're going to have them? And when you do business modeling, or a canvas, you'll have these kinds of discussion. It's really no different with lifetime value of a sales rep. 
And if you think of it, it's, it's, it's a simple concept because it's completely measured in time. So if you have a rep that's on average tenure of 20 months, the only way to increase the lifetime value, there's only two levers. Number one is get more from them at the beginning, which is aligned with this, which is ramp up time. And if you can get your reps on average tenure from say 20 to 24 months and ramp them on average instead of four months in three months, you just got an extra five months or 25% incremental lifetime value of a sales rep. And the way to do that is yes, ramp up time on the front, but the trick at the end is exactly what this study said, which is job satisfaction. How do you keep someone, remove the fact that they're getting promoted, forget that. We're talking about attrition, they're leaving the company. Mm -hmm. Get people closing more business, making money, hitting quota, fill in their pockets. They'll be satisfied, they will stay longer, and you've increased lifetime value. So we have this conversation all the time. This is exactly our vision for what we want to enable. So complete alignment with this, right? No, that's great. Yeah, it's really interesting to kind of look at how does it actually play out right across a number of different, and this study was cross industries, cross uh, different sized organizations, uh, but some pretty consistent themes that that rang true. So let, let's keep moving here, David, um, and we'll make sure, uh, please tell me if the slides are continuing to advance. Um, so, you know, let's talk specifically about that role of coaching. So if we think about, you know, people, process, technology, we want to make sure as sales enablement that we're supporting that, we're providing the training, the support that we need, but also enabling the managers and that idea. And I really hope that's true, that 2020 is the year of the frontline manager. You know, the, those that have been promoted into that role and often overlooked and don't have the skills and knowledge necessarily to be successful. Um, so let's look at that role of, of coaching. Uh, and how that can really help, you know, take take us forward. So again, a study, and, and we can make this available. This is with the selling power that we did, but tried to look at what are managers doing differently in high-performing organizations and not surprising, and I don't think this will be a shock to you, David, but we found that high-performing sales organizations have managers that tend to spend more time coaching. So 20% or more, which we think would be a bare minimum, but they're spending more time than others coaching and they're also investing more in training their managers as coaches. And I think that again, pulls through with how they're being onboarded, you know, how they're developing their skills, even how they're able to support the technology stack because they're able to you know, have coaching conversations. So I don't know if you have any thoughts about this uh, specifically, but you know, it is interesting to look at how does coaching actually equate to real results in the organization as well. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, this the concept of coaching is just in in performance in general, business, sports, you, you can, you know, being a, a musician and you need a coach. Full stop. Like and sales is probably one of the hardest professions in the world. Um, and because of that, you can get into bad habits real quick because as a you know, as as a sales professional done right, best job in the world, done wrong, you are going down a path that is going to be bad for everybody. And all the, you know, you miss a note in a music, in a music performance. Yeah, great people will notice it. But the impact of not getting, like the gap that can be created by not having coaching as a sales professional can have massive implications. So I'm not surprised by these numbers at all. Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things we wanted to do is just share a very simple model uh, that that we use and and we can talk about that and how how it fits in with with level jump as well. But you know the idea that what does it mean to develop a coaching mindset and to be in a position to really implement a coaching program? And we think it starts with 
the why, right? The motivation. So both the top down is their sponsorship and for the manager to realize, oh, if I coach better, I'm actually going to create more time. I'm going to enable my people to solve their own problems or, you know, build the skills so I don't have to jump in and ride to the rescue all the time. You know, so the what's in it for them, it starts with, I think, doing that skill development, whether that's in-person, virtual, on-demand, likely some combination of those things, uh, but to be able to train and support. And then ultimately, back to the what are we trying to get out of it? How are we measuring and tracking success? And, you know, what are we doing to ensure that this program is actually occurring? And, you know, I think this is a nice overlay between kind of our traditional training and level jump saying, yeah, and we have analytics and we have data and we have a lot of insights we can provide. Maybe you can comment on how, how these two tie together for you. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to bring your slide because you have another great slide to talk to this on coaching success factors. We're still on the uh, on the sales results. That, there, you, there it is. There it is. Okay. All right. You're Thank good. you. Yep. Yeah, you're good. I want to, uh, it's good, everybody. You got to listen first and then the slide comes afterwards. It's almost like, right, uh, right. Almost like a quiz that, that we're structuring it. So what you're seeing on the screen now is basically what Ray just walked you through. So it's the visualization. We're hitting you auditory first, visually second. Um, so my comment really and how we align it just with coaching in general is, again, start with the why, but really thinking about how to use data and analytics to drive good coaching, right? So you want to be coaching against very specific metrics, and that's the best way to use data, right? All too often, and I'm sure you can attest to this, coaching is this vague concept that's going to make the rep you know, generally a bit better. But the most successful coaching we've seen is when organizations use data to identify a very specific problem in their sales motion, then they develop a a specific hypothesis for what's causing that problem and are now using coaching as a tool to change a very specific seller behavior to solve that specific problem. And that's when data can make coaching really, really effective, really effective. And, you know, with regards to measuring it on like on your slide here, there's no one measurement for coaching success. You can't say, oh, there were there were 10 coachable moments or, you know, right. check the box every time you coach someone and this guy did eight because th- there's no one way. But all of the coaching in its in its entirety should really be targeted at moving specific needles. Right. So success is when one of those needles you've pinpointed is actually moved. And then the last piece about the correlation, how do you correlate coaching to performance? That's really a, a three step process. Like the first thing is, did the coaching actually happen? I mean, it starts with that. But second is, did the seller actually do something with that coaching? Was there some form of change in behavior? And the third thing is, did that change in behavior lead to the business app impact that you were looking for, that needle you wanted to move? And that's how ultimately you can really start correlating coaching to performance. No, I love that. And having the insights to look for, you know, kind of where do we start, which we hear a lot of times is, I don't know, you know, there's so much to coach on. What, What do I do? And I think being able to say, well, let's look at your pipeline and see where the deal's stalling out or where are you struggling overall, or being able to then go in and observe them on a call and say, well, you know, it seems like maybe if we did a better job doing discovery, our presentations would be better received, or our proposals would have a higher acceptance rate. Let's go back to that step and observe a call, look for those key skills and behaviors we're trying to support and see, oh, maybe we're not really getting to the business impact. Maybe we're not asking that next level question, or maybe we're not tying our solution to the customer specific needs 
well, when we do that piece. So now it gives us uh, a lens to look at that, right? So I think it is a really nice way to, uh, to complement both, both approaches. All right, so uh, let's kind of bring it home here. You know, one of the things we wanted to do is talk about uh, the impact, right? So if we've kind of set out our objectives, we have some metrics in place, we know the components we want to kind of put in place to support the program, and how do we prove the impact of a sales enablement program? Um, so I thought it'd be you know really interesting for both of us to share uh, the uh, a quick case study or or some results that we've seen. And you should be seeing the business impact of sales enablement here, uh, David. I'll just double check. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I'll take the the first one on the left side. Um, you know, this was a fast growing tech company. Uh, so they have an online marketplace uh, for services. Um, they were growing very rapidly, onboarding a lot of people, and they realized, um, I, I think, uh, positively, right, that their managers were not equipped to be able to support this growth. And so they really wanted to look at sales management in general and specifically coaching and the idea that the frontline managers could also help pull this together between kind of uh, sales development team, the sales and account management, um, and, and really be that catalyst to, to pull all of these different components together. So we looked at the sales management training, we looked at coaching tools, we provided a framework for them to utilize, and they were actually able to ben uh, benchmark productivity per AE and they saw a significant rise. Now, I'd love to say that was all you know, because of great skill development. <laughs> I think a lot of it had to do with just shining that spotlight on it and saying, we are going to pay attention to these things. Here's what we're going to do. And the manager's going, oh, I want to really make sure we're paying attention. And you know, where are we with that? Because a lot of times the managers don't even really know uh, where they are, or how they uh, compare you know, necessarily to their peers or, or other teams. So I think that was a, a great success of, oh, okay, this is a combination of the training, the focus, you know, improving some of the processes that were in place uh, and getting some real measurable results out of that. Why don't you share a little bit about uh, one of the high growth companies you had as well? Yeah, so um, I mean, I'll th congratulations to you and whoever the, the customer is. I, I love hearing success stories like that because it just shows that what we're doing is working on all, on all fronts. Uh, the... Uh, we, we're working with a company, Hypergrowth SaaS company. They're selling uh, POS software. Their thing was they had acquired a new company just to, you know, as, as companies grow, they want to add new offerings, but they wanted to add a new product to their portfolio. But the challenge was that the sellers weren't actually selling the new product, right? They were just relying on the, the talk track and what they, they were used to selling what was in the current bag. And the sales were fine, but the sales of the new product specifically were lagging. So whenever you acquire something, there's again, a financial model that has assumptions that the sales team is gonna get that thing going. So we actually recently, we, we uh, launched an integration with call intelligence provider uh, Gong, and we were able to take Gong keyword trackers and use them as milestones in, inside, the, inside our product. And that's what we did. And every seller then at this organization was enrolled in an ongoing enablement program where they had to make a certain number of calls that mentioned the new product based on the gong trackers. They had to book a certain number of, of deals against the new product line and then actually close those new product deals. And that was within the workflow of, of, a, of a level jump program as we call it. And the result really now is we can see if sellers are using the new talk tracks. And if that new talk track is actually leading to real opportunities against the new product line, and if those opportunities are closing, and then we can also see the dark side of the moon on these metrics, like looking at who isn't using the new the new talk track. Um, you can use this information to recommend additional coaching programs for them. 
really to yep. just help them to get them where they need to be. So they're seeing a massive uptake in add-on business now. And add, by mentioning the product more often within the coaching program, bigger deal sizes by adding the product, having an addition point. Yeah, no, I think that's a, a, a great illustration of, and, and it's a an assumption or hunch that that I think many of us have had over the years, which is, I don't think a lot of that material is getting used. We just don't know which material or, you know, 80% of it's wasted, but which 80%. So now you can actually look and say, oh, well, these assets are being used and are resulting in higher performance. And so let's invest and, and make sure that, you know, we're supporting those uh, and, and putting our focus there where it's really going to make a difference. So great, great story. So um, let's go ahead and and just kind of cover key takeaways. And I want to make sure we have a few minutes just uh, for questions at the end here. And I will say, if you have a question, you can go ahead and add it in uh, now into the question box. We'll try to uh, capture that at the end. But you know what we wanted to do just at a very high level, and this is a topic we could spend all day on, I'm sure. Um, but you know, talk about some of the challenges we've seen, and we heard from our audience about what some of their challenges are in in terms of the priorities. Um, how we actually tie that into the, what sales enablement's doing and, and where we're focusing, and then how to align the objectives you know, to those, whatever those revenue goals or metrics are that are really going to resonate uh, with our internal customer, right? The, the, the sales leaders. Um, and then how important it is to have the managers on board as coaches uh, to really support that and, and engage, and ultimately you know, having those metrics to improve the visibility at the end of the day, we want to be able to go back and tell a great story internally, just like we would, you know, as an external case study. Um, anything else resonate for you here, David, or that you'd like to, to highlight in terms of, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here uh, in 45 minutes or so, but uh, love to get your takeaways as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, I, you summed it up right here. Great. I, I, we could riff on this for hours, and I do want to be uh, cognizant and respectful of everybody's time. But I, I think that really the most important thing is, is on top of all this really starting with the why and the outcome you're trying to drive, right? Like if you if you really hone in on the outcome you want and tie it to the impact it'll have on the business, along with all of these key takeaways that you kind of aligned here, Ray, I, like I said, I think you're off to the races. No, outstanding. Well, we do have a few questions coming in. I know Merrick uh, and asked and a few other people if the slides would be available. And yes, we, we will make... Uh, uh, a PDF of the slides available to, to everybody that that signed up. Um, and then uh, Alonzo, I don't know if you've been tracking other questions along the way here. Um, love to capture a few uh, before we wrap up, but let me turn it back over to you. We'll hit uh, kind of the final questions and then uh, take it home for the day. Thank you, Ray. I was just waiting for the camera to show. Okay. <laughs> So to answer your question, in fact, yes, I've been tracking questions, and I have one ready for you guys. Okay. It's from John Bowman. He's a sales enablement manager at an IT company. And his question is, how would you measure effectiveness of sales training when our sales cycle is 12 to 18 months? It's hard to correlate them. Yeah, it takes a while, right, for for us to see the results and to really prove that out. Um, you know, David, I know you guys live in the world of of metrics and data, so I'd love to get your take on that first. Yeah, uh, it's a great question. Like, how do you how do you actually show the impact of of an eighteen month, twelve month, like a long sales cycle period? So, what we've typically, what, my own personal philosophy on it, what we tell customers we work with, is, you know. <laughs> 
you can say, hey, we went from 18 months to, to 15 months, but then you have to wait 15 months to figure that out. Or we went from a 12 month cycle, and we closed in 11 months. But I think what's super important is really mapping out the, the indicators along the way for what it takes to get to that, call it 12 month sales, like to get to closed one at month 12, what happens along the way? So how quickly did you uncover the opportunity? How quickly did you get aligned to the executive? How quickly did you get into procurement? How quickly did you get to legal? Whatever your sales motion is along the way. And the training shouldn't be just when it's that long is you break it into micro chunks saying this training is going to help you get to the executives faster as an example. So make the training very specific about the chunks of the stages within a long sales cycle. And then you can then start to figure out how training is impacting that specific piece. What happens in the first 90 days, almost have the persona of each stage of the deal, what's supposed to happen within those. And then you can build milestones against them. My favorite one, when we talk about the long ones is typically you're working with people that are running an RFP or a project and you can't really right size the deal until you get in front of executives. So I love that for long sales cycles, giving someone sales training on how to get above the power line sooner and get the executives engaged in the sales process earlier. That is something that's measurable that you don't have to wait 12 to 18 months on and choose whatever your metric and build a sales training program against an outcome that's earlier on in a long sales cycle. No, I think that's great insight to to align it with those leading indicators that we believe will produce the results we're looking for. But you can't wait for 18 months to see if it's being successful. But you're right. What what are those key milestones or key metrics that we can measure? I mean, we had a sales negotiation program where all we looked at was discount rate over the six months after. And we were able to show an extremely high uptake and improvement for that particular team. So, you know, we didn't have to necessarily uh, look out over the entire life cycle or, or compare, you know, we had one, one way of measuring. And in that case, it was an outcome measure, uh, but for those deals where they were applying it. So I think that's, uh, yeah, uh, we have to break it back. Maybe look at some of those even behaviors. Are they applying the behaviors we're looking for? Are they, uh, demonstrating the skills that we know, you know, even things like call plans and research, and objectives for each call, you know, are they doing things that then we know will correlate to improve performance, track those in the meantime? Absolutely. So Alonzo, I know we're uh, coming up on the top of the hour. Um, any other high point questions? And we're happy to follow up uh, by email or offline. Uh, people have, I know there are some other discussions about particular uh, programs or, you know, how to apply this within their organization. Happy to take those offline and have further discussions as well. Okay. Well, um... We move to the next question. Uh, by the way, John says thank you. And, okay. uh, Dennis Diligent, uh, she's a managing director at a business service company. She's asking, or he's asking, uh, perhaps a perennial question. This is, this, is, this is the question. But functionally speaking, where have you seen sales enablement perform best? Organizationally, does reporting into sales, marketing, or directly into C-suite, the C-suite, make any difference on success in your experience? <laughs> who, who wants to start on that one, David? I mean, listen, so I, 
I, future state, I would love to see sales enablement reporting to C-suite. I, I don't see it enough. I don't see it a lot. And I'll, I'll just call that straight out. Um, but as the, like I say, as this renaissance continues, as the profession gets more, more high profile, I think we'll, we'll start seeing that more. You are seeing VP titles of enablement starting to happen, reporting to C-suite. But I think that's, that's more the, uh, the minority. With regards to sales and marketing, this is a good question. And I actually, my take on it is, it depends how your buyer buys. And, and here's what I mean by that. If the nature of your buyer's journey is heavily based on more of a marketing driven, you know, they're consuming a lot of content, they're reading a lot of material, I would align enablement to the how your buyer buys. And then, you know, in that scenario, the enablement person might be more aligned to marketing because it's more of a content driven, giving you tools and assets for the buyer to make it easy. If it's the other way, if you're more an outbound motion and you're coming up with messaging and you've got a big BDR program that's picking up the phone and calling and messaging and you got to, you know, people aren't, you're, you're not thousands of leads every day requesting demos right, and right. send me more information. Then in that scenario, if your buyer needs to be gone after, then I think it should be aligned more to sales if you had to choose both. But we all know in a perfect world, you've got sales and, and marketing completely aligned. And uh, they work together, but we still know yeah. we're far, far cry from that. So that would be my take perfect. on it. No, I, I, I think that's great. And, you know, I just add to that. I listened to a podcast with Scott Santucci, the you know founder of Sales and Enablement Society, and Brian Lambert talking about this exact question. And I, I think the guidance overall was, well, one, where's the budget coming from? <laughs> so follow the money. And also back to if we're acting like internal consultants, we probably have multiple stakeholders we need to make sure that we're uh, satisfying and understanding those requirements because the worst thing we can do is satisfy sales and then marketing is like, no, they don't get it or they're not using our stuff or vice versa. You know, we're aligned with marketing and then sales is like, we can't really use this stuff. Uh, it's too detailed. It's not not functional, whatever. Um, so I think we really need to treat that like we have a we're a consultant that has multiple stakeholders. Now let's make sure we're satisfying that and looking at, you know, at the end of the day, where's our budget going to align? All right. Well, Alonzo, um, appreciate you uh, taking those questions. I'll leave it this slide, let you wrap up. But David, I just like to start uh, start the wrap up, I guess, but uh, just say thank you so much for joining us today. Really enjoyed the the dialogue, the discussion, um, your insights. It's It's been a super pleasure. And I think you provided a, a ton of value to our, uh, our listeners, participants today. So uh, thanks for being here. The market is changing, making sales skills more important than ever before. How to transform your team into peak performers? If you want the answer, plus free resources for podcast listeners, visit salesreadinessgroup.com slash podcast. <laughs>